You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 155 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is a fine Tuesday evening here in Atlanta, and joining me for the first time in a while, I will say, the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? Yeah, I think Brad had some sort of like court order against me coming on the podcast. I'm not really sure what the deal was, but you know, my my people my my people talk to his people, and you know, it seems like we're good now. Yeah, we, we've bridged the gap. Um, yeah, candidly, I've recorded a couple of late night episodes recently, which usually lends itself to Mr. Coleman, who happens to live three hours behind us. Um, and then I had and, Zach Dillard, so blame him. <laughs> uh, I, I have no problems blaming Zach. That's not a problem at all. But you know, <laughs> and plus, you know, for those of us who have to get up super early in the morning and have kids and things like that, I, I appreciate you know not having to be up super super late, uh, even yeah. though I would happy, happily do it for you. My schedule, I'm looking forward to my schedule being back to normal again. Um, I know, you know, for those of, those of you who might be new listeners, I, I do have a day job still, but I also have about four different semi-full-time writing jobs all put together, which is, I guess, the benefits of not being married with children. I have a little bit more time, but even then, I don't have time to do everything that I do, so it's been a little bit crazy, and it's not going to get any less crazy for the next couple of weeks with March Madness coming, so um, our apologies on the... I guess inconsistency of the scheduling on the podcast at some point very soon, we'll get back to our normal Sunday night rotation, but for now it's Tuesday and next week's going to be probably Tuesday or Wednesday. And then after I get back from a March madness trip, we'll probably get back on schedule, but just uh, it's coming. I promise. Um, all right, Eric. Well, the, the meat of this podcast today is going to be a little bit later, but it's going to be the position player preview. Last week we did the bullpen preview, which is of course the least sexy of all the previews, but uh, this was, this is one that's going to be a little bit um, more in depth. Obviously there's more guys to talk about with the position players. Uh, I, I decided to combine the bench and the lineup because everybody's kind of in the same boat to some extent. So we'll spend a lot of time there. But a couple of news items to get to before we get to the actual offensive players, I should, I suppose we should say. A couple of news items here, one of which is that Mike Fultonavich is not going to be the opening day starter, which is not a huge surprise given that he's been battling uh, the injury stuff and some weirdness there at the beginning of spring training. Um, but now it's been confirmed by Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, next week's going to be the, the rotation preview, so I don't want to go too, too deep on these guys. But... It might be Julio Tehran, which is hilarious on a number of levels. So what was your reaction when you heard, A, that Fulte is not going to be ready for opening day, and B, that it might be Julio Tehran? So uh, I had heard a few days ago that Fulte had like been openly saying that he was still having some discomfort throwing his slider uh, with his elbow, which is a little bit concerning. But he, they've been pretty candid that the issue is these bone spurs. Now, the problem is, is I don't really know what like the long-term prognosis and like kind of what can, is our bone spurs something that can be like pitched, pitched through how severe is, is it a thing over time, you know, things like that. So it's hard for me to really 
give an informed opinion. But I, I do have to kind of take him at their word that for the moment that you know he's only going to miss that like the first like a first couple turns of the rotation. I think is what it sounds like. Um, after that, it just kind of depends on kind of if this turns into a protracted thing, then maybe like these bone spurs are causing some other problems, which you don't you, you never want to have to fix anything you know surgically or anything like that, especially with an elbow. But it doesn't sound like it's you know it's a UCL or anything like that. It's just more that these bone spurs are giving him trouble. So obviously it's not ideal, uh, but one of the benefits of the Braves inexplicably keeping 13 or 14 position, I mean, starting pitching prospects around is that, you know, especially in the short term, you can, this, of any team in Major League Baseball, the, the team that can absorb some rotation injuries is the Braves. So in terms of like a long-term prognosis for the team and things like that, Pulte's a very good starter. Uh, obviously the team's better with him in the rotation, but it's not a total disaster. It's not like you have to ring in, like run in, run out Williams Perez back in those days or, you know, calling up, you know, other guys that have performed less than admirably, uh, in the starting pitching spots. So they have plenty of guys that can, you know, especially in the short term, uh, they really had, they kind of works out for them a little bit that they can kind of maybe give some of these other young guys, uh, some looks in the majors before they can kind of decide who's going to be in that fifth spot. Um, as for who's in the opening day start, starter, I'm just going to be honest. I don't really care. I would <laughs> care a lot. I would care so much more if it was like game one of a postseason series. But who the opening day starter is, I mean, that's turned into like giving it. It's not often given to the best pitcher on the team. It's given to like the veteran who's the longest tenured or, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, if, if whatever, whoever's run out there on opening day, as long as there's some thought into how that might affect future matchups in series and things like that. I don't necessarily care if it is Julio or if it's Newcomb. Uh, I know those are the two names that have been mentioned, but I mean, if they run out Julio opening day with the idea being that hopefully he would be better on maybe some extra rest. And I haven't really looked at the schedule that hard, but if, if that extra rest would make Julio possibly better in the next start, I don't really care if he's the opening day starter. I just, you know, do I think he should be in the rotation? I'm not his biggest fan and I've been pretty candid about that, but if you're going to have him in the rotation, if he's starting an opening day or if he's starting the fifth day of the season, that doesn't really matter to me the, the the number one through number five starters is ignition based on performance not when they start the season and that's just kind of how i feel about it i totally agree with regard to the opening day starter i think it you know it matters in the sense that you that it, that it gets talked about more than anything else but i'm with you you know julio it would be kind of just ironic in some ways because i know i kind of assumed he wasn't going to be around so the fact that he's still here um and the fact that he's started so many opening days is going to be kind of on brand if he starts one I do think that your point about um, depth in the rotation is a good one and that they have all these arms. In contrast to that, I think Fulte is the one guy that they really can't afford to be without. Um, that's kind of where I would be with that, only because, I mean, there's a scenario where the, where the young guys all pop this year, or at least a couple of those guys pop, and it doesn't really matter that much. And uh, it's important to note that Fulte should be back, at least according to what we've heard so far. But he's the one guy on the roster right now that has put together a full season of you know, number one or number two pitcher kind of performance. Um, I guess Julio did a couple times early in his career, um, but not recently. Um, we've not seen that for a full season from Nuka. We've not seen that for a full season from even Gosman, who's a little bit older, um, or any, any of the young guys. So 
there's a chance that Fulte is the best is not the best pitcher on the team this year, but coming into the year, he's the only rational projection as the best pitcher on this team. So sure. if you take him out of the equation for um, I mean, we'll just say a couple of weeks. I'm not really sure what's going to be neither neither are you, but he's the one guy it would actually kind of hurt, I think. Um, but so I think we're both right on this one. Like the depth is really valuable, and having guys like Soroka and Tuki and uh, we, we've seen Kyle Wright be fantastic in um, in spring and Max Freed and having all these guys who are not guaranteed roster spots is super helpful when you need one um at the same time none of those guys project to be Mike Fultonavich in year one so it's kind of, it's kind of a give and take sure I just think that especially if it's only like two turns through the rotation that yeah. the, the, I mean Fulte's the best pitcher on the team right now I, I I I feel very comfortable in saying that and I think that only a couple turns through the rotation the drop-off for the Braves specifically is more marginal than basically any other team uh now that being said we're dealing with prospects here and it's while it's possible that, you know, the Atuki or a Kyle Wright or, you know, even a Bryce Wilson who was really good today, you know, if he gets, you know, if they get a shot while Fulte is out and like they could feasibly just implode and be legitimately terrible for those two starts. So that's, on, that's, I mean, on, I mean, that's definitely in play. I mean, I think people always assume that young guys and we like the young guys. I know you do. You're a prospect guy. I but love them. Until you see those guys do it um, in a big league regular season game or more like for instance you know Bryce Wilson was phenomenal today uh, and Kyle Wright's been phenomenal a couple times in spring that isn't the same thing as pitching in a regular season game so right. it's just different but yeah I, I agree it's I'm, I don't want to go I guess I don't want to go too deep into it but it's just kind of interesting to weigh that back and forth because depth is a strength of, ro- of the rotation but it also isn't the most top heavy of rotations in the world like you have a lot of depth but nobody that's necessarily super duper safe outside of Fulte and I still like Kevin Gosman but he's not I wouldn't say safe just yet. So he's been dinged up too. Yeah, he's been banged up. So yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that a lot more next week when we have uh, sort of more time to stretch out on the rotation itself. But I want to start there. That was, I guess, the biggest piece of news if you wanted to count it as such this week. Um, one of the other things is a bunch of young guys got trimmed off the roster in two different waves. No huge surprises in my opinion, but any, anything surprised you in terms of just how early this came? Like Colby Aller was one um, that was. I saw some of the stories written about him that were describing him as, as someone who was battling for a rotation spot, and I was thinking, no, he wasn't. There was no chance in, in the world he was making the rotation out of spring. But at least that's that's my opinion anyway. Um, but anything surprised you on how early this happened? I guess uh, Allard and Gohara were the two, I guess, headliners. Uh, no, um, Allard didn't pitch particularly well in the spring. Uh, his the problem with a guy like Allard is that you know you can't have both faltering command and middling to lower end stuff. Um, if you have real command, you know you don't you don't have to throw ninety five, ninety six. Uh, it helps, but at the same time, like if you're throwing you know ninety, ninety one, and you're also not commanding the ball really well. Uh, you probably need some more polish if you're going to be able to make it to the major leagues. And there's so many other guys that are in line for those rotation spots that are ahead of him at this point that it didn't really surprise me that he was kind of given an early cut so he can like put in some more work uh, on the backfields without having to kind of wait for those two inning stints and, you know, in, in big league camp and Gohara has been, he's been kind of dinged up too. And whether or not that he's going to be in the rotation or he's going to be in the bullpen and kind of how that he's going to be utilized this year, I don't think that he's necessarily best served to be throwing in big league camp anyway in those spring training games. They just need to kind of figure out where he is, where he is health-wise. Um, he, conditioning, you know, everything we've heard is great, but, you know, he was another guy that was kind of not feeling particularly great in spring, but you don't necessarily want to have him try to figure that out in those two, three-inning stints because 
you want to be able to kind of have a game plan as to kind of what you want to use him for. And if that means you want to put him in the bullpen, maybe it's a good idea to have him in minor league camp, start the season in the minor leagues, kind of get used to that role. And then if you decide you need him in the bullpen, you bring him up. Yeah, that makes sense um, on a number of levels, I would say. So, um, yeah, again, no, no surprise. This one always cover that, the fact that they made some cuts um, or options and all that fun stuff, which is just part of the process in March. Yep. Uh, things, these things happen. Um, last thing, a last thing on the news front was that um, Brian Snicker essentially confirmed this week that the closer role was going to be split between A.J. Minter and Aurelius Viscaino, which is something we, spe- we speculated on last week, um, Scott and I, and basically center on the fact that that, that was probably going to be the case at some point in time. Um, that, that, of course, assumes that both guys are pitching well and that they're healthy. Um, one of the things that's important to note there is that Minter is not throwing right now. He's supposed to be returning to throwing again on Saturday. He's been, he's been dinged up a little bit. And Aroidas has been hurt a lot in his career. So it's kind of a perfect, a perfect world scenario where those guys are pitching together and actively at the same time. But what do you think of that? Um, I, know, I know we went a little bit deeper on it last week. What do you think of that arrangement? I think it makes sense, but is it some? are you someone who is okay with that? Or I know a lot of the fan base pushed back. I got, I got some tweets about the fact that people want one closer because it's sort of the traditional thing. So where are you with that? I do not think that at this point in time, Minter or Vizzy are appreciably better than one or the other right now. I mean, if that's the case, then – Playing matchups with Minter and Vizzy is the best thing you can do because there are times when Vizzy looks really good and there are times when he's either not particularly healthy or he is actively bad. Uh, the same thing goes for Minter. Uh, Minter has been more health-related. He had like a back thing last year and you know his stuff kind of like backed off a bit, then it came back and he was more inconsistent. But when you have guys like this that you can play matchups with – which is what Snicker says that you know maybe what we're going to be doing more is what we're going to be doing we were doing last year, which is playing matchups. Who we think is going to be the like if if the toughest part of the lineup is in the eighth inning and they're all righties or they're all left, lefties, you you put in the guy that you think is going to be best to deal with that. Uh, I am not a guy who thinks that you need a traditional close or anything like that. Uh, in terms of like you know that big stage ninth inning guy, I think both these guys have the mindset to do that. But more importantly, they have the mindset that they would be able and willing to try to go and get the best hitters on the other team out. And that's the most important thing because the the reality of the situation is that in the ninth inning, if you're going against the seven, eight, and nine hitters, and you're turning your best bullpen guy against those three guys, you probably could have put your third best guy in and gotten the same result against them. What you want is your best bullpen guys dealing with the, the hardest part of that lineup. So that way you, those last, whatever that, however that lines up is that you, you had your best arms going against their best guys and then you, the chips fall where they may. That's just how I feel about it. In terms of that traditional cold closer role, I know what people think about that. And I, you hear about saves. You hear about kind of those that that way of looking at it. And I understand that there are people who are built to be on that that stage where you know it's the bottom of the ninth, and you have the four, five, and six hitters, and there's not that many guys that have that mindset that they can go out there with all that crowd noise and deal with that. But I don't think that Minter or Vizzy can't do that. But what I want them to be able to do also is to be put in the best position to succeed and make the bullpen perform well. Because if you have the three, four, and five hitters of the Nationals and you're running you know, Sam Freeman out there in the seventh inning, you, you could be asking for a bit of trouble, or, or the eighth inning for that matter. You, you want your best arms out there in those situations. So I don't – in terms – I want – if you're picking me as a who to be the, the, guy, the most high leverage guys, that doesn't necessarily mean the ninth inning for me. Yeah, that is uh, basically how I feel as well. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm not even going to add anything to it, Eric. You are uh, spot on, in my opinion, with all that. Um, And I've shared some of my thoughts last week. But, uh, yeah, no surprises, I don't think, either. And I think this is the best way to do it. I mean, if they sign Craig Kimbrell at some point, 
he becomes the closer, I think, full stop. He's on the very short list of players, I think, are who are probably still best utilized as, like, the full ninth inning guy by yourself. But there's, yeah, he, can there, get, he can get anybody out, yeah. <laughs> there might be eight guys in the league like that, in my opinion, where you right. wouldn't mix and match. Like, it's a very short list. Uh, Kimbrel is on it, but uh, at least prime Kimbrel, good Kimbrel is on it, which I think he probably still is at this point. But as, unless they do that, that's uh, otherwise give me the matchup stuff, especially, especially when your two best relievers are one is right-handed and one is, one is left-handed. That makes it even mm-hmm. easier. So. Yep. All right, let's go to the position players, Eric. It's time, but before we get to that, Here's a short break. Yes, a short break on the podcast. But before we get to that even, I want to tell you, everybody, to subscribe to this podcast. It's really huge that you do that. Um, just as a little or- organic plug here, I don't always do this in the middle of the podcast, but please take a moment and go to your podcast platform of choice and click click the, the subscribe button. Also, rate and review the pod. That'd be also huge. Tell your friends, if you have a Braves fan friend that you know does not does not listen to the podcast or doesn't even know what a podcast is, like your parents might not know the podcast, but if they like the Braves, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, like, they'll like the podcast. Maybe they maybe just like Eric. Maybe there's a fan of Scott. Um, maybe they hate me, but they will just want to hold on and hold their breath for the one episode that I'm not on. Whatever you want to do hop on the podcast subscribe and do all that fun stuff we'll be back again in just one second hey this is scott galloway author professor entrepreneur and most importantly host of the prop g podcast we got a special series running on right now called the future of work where i answer all your questions on surprise the future of work questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking from the provocative to the technical we're offering insights you won't want to miss so tune in to the future of work a prop g pod special sponsored by canva you can find it on the prop g pod wherever you get your podcasts all right eric we're back and uh it's position player preview time I think the easiest way to do this is just to go down the list by position because we're combining the starters and the bench guys. So let's just go position by position to an extent. Obviously, a couple different guys will be able to play multiple spots, like Johan Camargo, for instance. But the first one is pretty easy, pretty easy straight ahead, and that's catcher, where there was one change. Of course, they, uh, Tyler Flowers is back, and they brought in Brian McCann to play with him. So in your mind, what are the expectations for this group? Because quietly, I think you and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast Flowers and Suzuki were awesome the last couple of years combined uh, and really underrated, in my opinion, um, nationally especially, but even locally with this fan base. I think they, as, as a general rule, they were really good. Um, is this group going to be as good as that group was, uh, given where McCann is at in his career? And how much are they all going to play? Because I think Flowers is clearly better than McCann, whereas it was, it was a little bit closer when it was Flowers and Suzuki. I don't think they're going to be as good simply because of how good Suzuki... Suzuki was legitimately a really good catcher last year and the year before, for that matter. Hit the ball really hard, showed some head power, and, you know, it just seemed like he always had big hits. And, you know, the numbers bear that out. It's not simply just an eye-catch thing with him. He, he was really... He was, like, for especially for, like, a couple months last year, he was probably one of the better hitters on the Braves team, period. Uh, and, th- like, that... Especially in that April-May area where he was kind of, like, clocking home runs and, you know, the offense wasn't really doing much without him. I mean, that's a, that's a real loss, and it's not really a knock on Brian McCann, but Brian McCann is you know substantially older now. Um, I expect this to be to, to start off as like a fifty-fifty split. Honestly, um, I don't necessarily disagree that Flowers is probably the better player right now, but there are there are things that Flowers doesn't do particularly well defensively that McCann might be better at, and I think that Flowers plays better when he is well rested versus having to play a bunch. And kind of balancing that's going to be tricky, especially with managing the, this pitching staff. But I think that at least to start, 
we're going to see kind of a 50-50 split between those two. Depending on how McCann is playing and holds up, will kind of determine how that goes going forward. I'm not really locked into an expectation there in terms of, like, this is what we're going to see this year. Because, I mean, Flowers gets hit by a million pitches. McCann's not necessarily known for not getting hit by pitches either. And, you know, he has some injury history, especially recently. You want to see kind of – I want to see kind of how they're playing and kind of how that ultimately shakes out because, I mean, Alex Jackson's sitting down there in Gwinnett too. And if, you know, he ends up playing really well and one of these two guys falls off and or gets hurt and Alex Jackson comes up and ends up hitting, you know, that 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 could change things a little bit. But – I don't necessarily think that's the most likely possibility, but I think for at least those first two months, we're going to see about a 50-50 split because even when McCann was hurt a bunch last year, um, he was still in a, like, you know, he was in probably over half the games. Now they have the AL has the DH, which kind of changes things a little bit, but I, I would not be surprised at least for the couple, first couple months, it was a 50-50 split. Yeah, I think that's not a crazy idea. And I think, you know, it's, it's a more natural platoon in some ways because McCann is left-handed and he very clearly has a platoon split, um, whereas you know Flowers and Suzuki do as well, but it's much more pronounced with McCann than it ever was with either, either one of those guys. Um, McCann struggles against left-handed pitching, um, especially at this point in his career. So that's it's kind of natural in that way. I will say, I mean, McCann is the X factor in some ways. I'm pretty confident as to what Tyler Flowers is. He does run hot and cold at, some, at certain times at the plate, but he had a home run this week earlier, and um, yeah, it's just. I, I, I kind of know what he is. I think he's good. Um, he's not excellent. He's not JT Realmuto, but he's a solid-ish starting catcher in Major League Baseball. McCann is the guy you have questions about because he's older. He struggled recently. Um, we all know how he's going to handle the pitching staff. Everybody loves Brian McCann, but, I mean, is he going to hit? That's kind of the question that everyone's going to have, and we won't know until it happens because he's old and it's going to be kind of a small sample size. Yeah, and he, and he's looked pretty good in spring. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't like been mashing home runs or anything, but he's been playing and he's been you know he's been hitting reasonably well. And I mean, you can only draw so many conclusions from spring stats. You know, what I mean, we've seen guys bat four hundred that like ended up being like released by the organization two months later and never saw major league play at all. So it's just kind of you know you take it with a grain of salt. But when you see a guy like that playing pretty well at the start of the season, you know, like he they the, catching could feasibly be a plus on this team. I don't think it's necessarily going to be like a big. Plus, but I mean, both these guys know how to play, how to play the position, and they both have some track record of being pretty decent offensively. So, you know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but I don't have like super high expectations for the group, uh, and I do think that the group from the last couple of years was significantly better. For sure, I think it will it will be a surprise. Um, it won't be absolutely you know, impossible, but it will be a surprise if Flowers and McCann this season outperform what they've been getting from Flowers and Suzuki the last two years. Um, we should just say that. It doesn't mean it has to be a massive step back. It, it could be just fine. And I think I've said this a number of times on the podcast, but the catching situation across Major League Baseball is pretty dire as a general rule. Right. I think people don't understand how bad it is. So like average catcher play is much worse than people understand that it is. And I think it would be kind of a, also be a surprise. I mean, it'd be a surprise if they were better, but it would also be a surprise if they were bad when compared to the rest of baseball at catcher. So I think, you know, it may not be a huge strength. It could be, but it may not. I'd be more surprised if it was a weakness than if it was an actual strength, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And there's real upside with Brian McCann. If he's actually healthy and, you know, you know, with his homecoming, him getting really fired up. I, he does seem like a guy that could like go, go on a tear and like you know be really good for a month or you know a month here and then a month there and you know maybe is a little bit colder in other months. But 
that's from a catcher. That's all you really. That's all you really need. You don't necessarily, you know, there there are very few JT Real Mutos in this league. Very very few. Uh, that 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 level of production. So the bar isn't particularly high, and I don't necessarily think that catcher is going to be the problem for the Braves. No, I agree, and that's probably enough on that with uh, several positions still to go. So we can move on from sure. there. Uh, f- first base is the easiest one in some ways because Freddie Freeman's going to play there every single blessed day unless he can't because even um, when he shouldn't be playing, when he's banged up, he will still play. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's that. Um, you know, obviously, Freddie Freeman's really good. He's been the best player on the team for a long time now. Um, I will say just as a bit of context, he was not great in the second half of last season. So from, from June 16th on, Freeman's slash line was 285, 352, 437. And that's about 400 plate appearances or so in 93 games. Now, that's not a bad player at all. But no. that's not a great player. That's not an all-star player. That's an okay hitter. And that's not what Freddie Freeman needs to be for this team. So he's 29 this year. That's not super old at first base especially. But do you have any concern that Freddie is no longer a super duper star or was that just a minor blip um, where he just maybe, maybe he wore down or just kind of had an extended slump? Uh, I think that was kind of more of a him being wore, I mean, wore down. He had a couple times last year where he got clocked by pitches in that same wrist that's given him problems um, in the past with being hit by pitches and things like that. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not super concerned simply because Freddie has such a long track record of being a really good player. There have been stretches where he was the best hitter in the National League, if not all of baseball, too. You know, he's not. I think that he's going to be served well by being spelled time from time to time at first base by, by others playing there, just because as much as I'm sure he wants to play 162 games, and I respect that position, he is a guy that needs to be super duper fresh when it comes to like that late that that postseason push and into the playoff series, you know, he's not going to be a guy that mashes 40 home runs. That's just not, that's not how he hits. He's the more of a, like a hard line drive hitter. And then every once in a while he, you know, he'll get hold of one and he'll, he'll hit 25 home runs or so. That's just what's going to, that's just what he is. And we love him for that. It's just, he's just the type of hitter he is. The power numbers are going to kind of fluctuate a little bit, but, with you know, when you have Donaldson in tow, and you're going to you're going to either have Donaldson or Ronald Acuna hitting behind Freddie Freeman this year, uh, I feel like that's going to help him too. I'm just not that I'm just not that concerned about Freddie. I'm just not. I am not either. I just wanted to at least put it out there because I think it's almost been lost in some ways. We discussed it a little bit. I know Zach Dillard mentioned it in passing when we discussed that a couple weeks ago, but I think I think it was just longer than people realized. I think most people noticed that late in the season he was not the same guy. But it was half the year, or maybe even more than half the year. Um, yeah. He was great before that, um, and he's had a lot of great seasons. But I think it's just kind of degrees to Freeman. I'm not worried at all. I'll say that. Not worried at all. But there is a difference between the guy that Freeman's been for some of his career and the like MVP candidate Freeman, which we've seen now for like, you know, at, at various times for a half season or so, he's been like best hitter in baseball caliber, like up there with Trout level at, at the plate. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be that for a full season, but he's capable of that. He's capable of an MVP season. Um, we, we talked about that last year for a while, honestly. He was in the MVP discussion in June and July, and then he cooled off, which was probably going to happen at some point, but we'll see what he looks like. I'm not worried, and he's not that old. So it's a big year, though. He, he needs to have a big year because this is sort of a top-heavy offense, which we'll get into as we get going. Um, oh, quickly, what happens if Freeman were to get banged up? And have to miss a month. Like, what? What do they do at first base? Uh, is, does it become Austin Riley off of um, up from AAA? Does it become Camargo every day at first base? Like, what? What's the first plan? You know, I mean, if it's a week, it w- it wouldn't be Riley. But if it was like a month or six weeks injury, 
what do they do as like sort of a, an extended time to fill in, fill in that spot? I think that depends entirely on how Austin Riley is playing at that particular point in time. Uh, because you can have both Cabargo or Culberson, for that matter, playing over at first base. You know, those are the two guys that have the versatility to kind of do that for a short period of time. A month gets a little bit tricky because, you know, you don't want to necessarily have Camargo or Culberson kind of tied into that first base role for that long. I think it very possibly could be Riley. But again, it kind of depends on when it happens, because I don't think that the Braves would be super enthusiastic about if, like, Freeman had to miss, for example, the month of April, because one, there's service time considerations when you when you call up Austin Riley that early. And two, you know, you don't really know what you want to give Austin some time and some at bats uh, and some time over at first base in the minor leagues. If that's your plan, if your plan is to have him be a potential backup first baseman, uh, maybe give him some time in the outfield too. You kind of want him to have some more games under your belt, under the belt than just like running him out there early in the season. Now, if it's like after May and he's already gotten some games at first, he's gotten some games in the outfield and you decide that you either need his bat or someone gets hurt and he's hitting well, then all bets are off because it's clear that they really like him and he's had a lot. He's going to have a substantial amount of time at AAA at that point, and he very well could get the call. Um, But if it's a shorter stint, I I think that's a a Culberson-Camargo thing. I think that one of the worst-case scenarios would be if, like, Freddie was, like, out for, like, a protected amount of time early in the season. Yeah, that would be – it would be rough if he missed extended time, which is the case for all the big guns, but – also, here's one sleeper they think that they could do. They could also put Donaldson over there and kind of hide him and have him have sort of a less workload and stick Camargo at third base. Um, That's not or, an interesting notion. Yeah, I, I mean, that. That, that'd be more of a long-term thing there. I'm not sure they're going to ask Donaldson to play first base for a week because he's just not used to doing that. But right. I think that all, all things considered, it would probably be a good spot to sort of keep his body fresh because playing first base is just not as difficult as playing third base. It's just that's the reality of the situation. So I'm um, just throwing that out there. But in general, hopefully Freddie Freeman's playing 150 plus and it's not really a concern for the Braves. Uh, OK, let's go to second base. Ozzy Albies is an interesting player in some ways, obviously very talented, um, excellent prospect, still extremely young last year couple of harsh splits that I'm going to sort of set the stage with, with this a little bit, with a few stats from Ozzy last season. First of all, he was uh, a pretty sharp platoon split. He was great from one side and not great from the other, um, which is interesting to point out. Um, elsewhere, he really, really cooled off after the beginning of the year. He was a 158 WRC plus in March and April, and a- after that, he was never better than really league average, and he was pretty bad in August and August September. 65 w- WRC plus in August, 74 in September. So who is Ozzy Albies? Because we know he's good, we know he's talented, but what does that mean for 2019? Well, Albies isn't the 158 WRC plus guy, that's for sure. When he was on that tear in March and April and blasting home runs all over the place, he was a legitimate MVP candidate, you know what I mean? Like, blasting that with that amount of power, power production and all that other and all that other stuff, that was crazy, but I never really saw that as sustainable because that he wasn't, he's just not a power hitter. Uh, he's stronger than you think and he's going to hit some home runs. Uh, I think what happened is that he just, I think he got tired, especially in the like latter part of the season and the team has kind of alluded to this, that he kind of, he was gassed towards the end of the year I think that he'll end up being probably like a 110 to 115 WRC plus guy, which is perfectly fine for second base, especially when he's seems to be a legitimately very good defensive second second baseman. I, I just I don't see him being that bad against righties long term. Um, there's there's legitimate questions about his left handed swing, or at least from the le- from the left hand side of the plate. I think that he might be well-served to just 
hit from the right side of the plate. I just don't think that – I think his swing from the right side of the plate would be good enough to offset, you know, that 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 right-on-right right matchup issue that happens with a lot of hitters. That I think that his swing, he can go the other way pretty well, and he can can hit balls that are on the outside corner of the plate, or he can turn on balls thrown inside on him uh, from the right side. That I It might be worth thinking about doing that, but I also think that he just needs some – so he's going to need to be spelled by Camargo. He's going to need to be spelled by Culberson. Just kind of give him some time here and there because he's a really high energy player. When he's on the bases, he's running around like his hair's on fire and he's just going to need more time. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, it's, it's sort of been a theme, I think, throughout the offseason is just this this thought that I think people like you and I and other writers have, the guys that were 75 Battery Avenue. And we've talked about this stuff a lot about just getting guys rest and using the depth. Granted, they don't have as much depth as we wanted, but Camargo is now a depth piece, and I think moving him around the field is going to be helpful. Getting Albies is a small guy. I mean, I know he's strong, I know he's fast, I know he's young, but guys get worn down. Like no one, no one is at their best for 162. It's just not the reality. So that's one thing. The splits are another. I think he's a better hitter, obviously, than he was down the stretch of last season. But you're right to kind of ask and question and see how you know where that all settles because he is young we've just never seen it over a full season like we, we saw him be awesome early and we saw him cool off late so what does it look like when he's more consistent what what is he going to be the defense really helps because he's awesome with, with the glove and his speed like the, the the bar for him to be a solid to better than that starter is pretty low at the plate because of his speed and defense but they this team needs this team needs maybe not pop necessarily but just needs quality offense um and Albies is capable of that we saw it last year it's just kind of what he's able to do now you mentioned Camargo um he's Camargo's the answer as the, like the number one backup in most spots um yep. and, and and at second base and all you know second base shortstop and third base Culberson is the other answer like it's not really you have to go I mean I'm just sort of addressing the depth here because I'm going to ask you about depth for a lot of positions but in the infield it's pretty much just Camargo and Culberson and that's kind of it yeah I mean you are there are worse guys to have in those positions too the, the oh, Braves sorry. bench I mean the Braves bench being other than maybe the outfield uh, especially if you're not particularly bullish on Adam Duvall I mean their bench isn't bad you know what I mean like I, you don't feel bad about Camargo or Culberson coming up in pitch hitting situations I mean they're definitely better than you know the Ryan Flaherty's of the world where you're running you run them up there in like a <laughs> key situation and you're just like crossing your fingers and hope that he draws a walk the thing with Albies though is that he really does need to figure out how to get on base more his his get his ability to draw walks needs to take a step forward because if he can do that, then a lot of the weird lineup stuff that we're seeing right now, like, you know, discussions that we're seeing right now becomes less relevant because he's a guy that could be a one or a two hole hitter theoretically, but his ability to get on base is really in question. And you know, that's, that's the, that's more of an approach thing than, uh, you know, whether or not he has the ability to make contact. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been something we've been talking about forever on the pod. I know people that are, um, Longtime listeners would know that, but you know, in his brief rookie season, he's walking almost nine percent of the time, which is really strong. Um, and his strikeout rate was down too, and it was more of a more of a top of the order kind of profile in his first season. Last year, he hit for more power um, in general, but his walk rate, his walk rate was uh, way down to about five percent. And his K rate went up to 17%, which isn't too, too bad. But he's going to have to walk more. His BABIP was really low last year. Part yeah. of that's just hitting homers. But still, like he got there was some luck involved. 
at the end of the day, I agree with you, though. He's going to have to walk more. And someone at his size should walk more anyway because the strike zone is smaller. It just, I mean, it seems like a very obvious thing to point out, but it's actually true. Like, pitchers have a little bit more trouble finding the zone on, on you when you are 5'5". Five, five. Is that, I know he's not listed as 5'5", five, five, but I think he's about 5'5". Five, five. Like that guy, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's incredible. He's a, he's a little taller than that, but yeah, he's not uh, Okay, 5'6 and a half for, for Ozzy <laughs> Uh But no, I, I'm mostly kidding, but he is a very small man. So, you know, walking would be very helpful to just raise all boats, just getting on base more often. That is a big reason why you don't see or hear us um, saying that he should be hitting leadoff, for instance. I think if he was the guy he was in 2017 – you'd be hearing a lot more about him hitting leadoff. But because he's not, at least he wasn't last year, he was a guy who hit for um, a little bit lower average. I don't, I don't really care about that, but his, his OBP was about 50, 50 points lower last year than it was in his rookie season. Granted, it was not a rookie season. It was a rookie third of a season. But right. still, um, you know, he's just going to have to get on base more. And uh, the, the easiest way to do that is to walk more, which he should be able to do. Yeah, and that's just going to take some time. Getting for sure. Uh, quickly on, on Culberson, so let's just do this now. Um we got in some trouble last year for saying that Culberson was above his head um, because he'd never done anything like like, like last season. Um, I, I still, I think long-term listeners of the podcast would know that I'm going to take um, the track record over the small sample size every single time. And uh, Culberson was not a great hitter before last year. Last year he had a great season. He had a, a bunch of huge moments. And it's fair to point out that almost half of his career plate appearances in the major leagues were last season when he was playing more and uh, morally more sort of firmly in a role. So maybe that's closer to what he actually is. I am still a little bit skeptical that he is a better than league average hitter, which is what he was last year. He won 108 WRC plus. He doesn't have to be that because he's still someone who could play, play all over the place and just be a sort of a nice backup player. But how real was the bat last year? Cause that's kind of, that, that, that's, it's an important question, especially if he ends up playing as much as he could play if there's, if there's some injuries. I don't think it's that real, uh, but I don't think he's a bad hitter. Uh, I mean, he like, when he was given a, a substantial amount of playing time, I mean, he was legitimately bad. Like the first start part of the season, I was I was one of the people who was like, let's get him out, let's just not give him any more pinch hitting appearances because it seemed like every time he came up, he struck out or you know was like a weak grounder into a double play or something like that. But he started having some big moments, and you know he showed himself to be the utility player. What I'm more interested to see is that now that Camargo is a super utility player, how much Culberson, playing time Culberson can realistically have. Because I think the Braves want to give Camargo a lot of plate appearances. I, I truly do believe that. You know, that's rotating him, you know, between Donaldson and, you know, giving Dansby time off if he needs it, Ozzy if he needs time off if he needs it. I'm a little bit surprised they haven't given him, you know, some time in the spring in the outfield just to kind of heat so that way he can do it if needed. Um, not necessarily that he needs a ton of playing time out there to be, you know, like a, like a one day fill in in left field or something like that. But with Camargo kind of in that role, I mean, it's Culberson's going to be getting mostly pinch hitting appearances with, you know, those occasional, you know, day game after a night game lineups that we see sometimes where you, you want to give some, a bunch of guys some rest because it was a late game or something like that. But I'm just not sure how much time, playing time Culberson's realistically going to get right now. And if that's the case, that might impact how well he performs this year. He's not. I don't. I do not think he's going to be as good as he was last year. Um, but I don't think that he is as bad. Uh, now that we've kind of gotten a better look at him, I do not think he's as bad as what his track record has been. So somewhere, you know, somewhere in between those. But uh, my concern right now is that if he needs a lot of playing time, I'm not sure where he's going to get. Yeah, I, I agree with 
all of that. And I want to talk about Camargo. Let's just do that now because it's sort of a good bridge between second base, shortstop, third base. Camargo, you briefly talked about him there. We talked about him a lot in the offseason and how we thought this is a good role for him. He's going to yep. play a lot, but how does he play a lot? Is it going to be at shortstop? Is it going to be um, Dansby's, you know, on paper, the weak spot in the um, in the infield right now, at the plate especially, with the way that he's hit to this point. He's also been banged up in the uh, early going here in spring, got a bit of a late start. Camargo, at this moment, is a much better hitter than Nesby Swanson is. So that's a spot that fans point to as a very natural place for Camargo to play. With that said, the Braves are still invested in Swanson. He's a better defender at shortstop, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I know this is sort of getting out of out of uh, order with, with regard to position to some degree, but Camargo's going to be playing all over the place. It's just how much can he play? And unavoidably, I don't want to want to talk about the manager too much, but it does matter because if this team was managed by Joe Madden or someone who's creative, I would have less of a concern. But Snicker has never been someone who's going to who's leaned heavily. You know, in his defense, he hasn't really had that player before in the, with the Braves. But on the other side, he's a he's a much more traditional manager to the point where it's like fill out your lineup card the same way every day. Um, and is he going to be ready to use Camargo as liberally as um, frequently? in different spots to give guys days off, et cetera. Like, how do you see this all playing out? We talked about the theoretical, but now we're almost time for it to really happen. The way I see Camargo in the early season being used is, I mean, Donaldson's not going to be playing all the time. He's just not. It's not a good idea, especially when he's coming off that injury, and they've already had to kind of back off starting him a ton, even in the spring. You know, so like, you know, give, you know, start him at third one day, maybe start him at, short one day, start him at second one day, depending on matchups. Like, for example, if there's a tough a tough righty that's coming up, you don't necessarily want to – I mean, you might not want to have Ozzy in that particular situation or maybe if it's – you know, same th- or same thing with Dansby for that matter. You know, just kind of – that you can, because Camargo's a switch hitter, you can kind of play matchups with him some in the early going. I am skeptical that the Braves will be willing to sit through two months of Dansby Swanson – you know, with like a sub 90 WRC plus, even when he's coming back from this injury and even with his defensive value, because now we have his, you know, his rookie debut. And then now two seasons of him being at best, a slightly below average hitter at the plate. Now, last year he had real defensive value and his wrist injury was a real thing. And you know, it, it explains some of his issues, especially on pitches on the outside. You know, I can imagine a world where if you're trying to, you know, fight off those pitches and you have an issue with your wrist, being able to fight off those pitches is harder and being able to actually just get your bat out in front of those balls um, and, you know, generate the bat speed you need. I can understand where that would be a problem. But I also think that you can only give him so much of a leash before you realize that you are losing real offensive value, especially when you have a guy like Camargo on the bench. So in the early going, I think what's going to happen is he'll be kind of hopping around a little bit here and there. He'll get a bu- I'm sure he'll get a bunch of pinch hitting appearances as well, late defensive replacements, you know, giving guys rest that way too. It's not just getting starts. I mean, like maybe in the sixth or seventh inning when you make a bullpen change, you put Camargo in there, and it's not like it's a – just like a defensive replacement type thing, you might be seeing some matchups in their bullpen and you will, you know what? I'd actually prefer to have Camargo in there right now. And so you do a double switch that way. Um, and I, I see that how that's happening in the early going after that depends a lot on how Dansby Swanson is playing. And uh, there's reason for some skepticism there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think even more so I've been a pro Dansby person, I think only because, um, I think he's still a very talented baseball player. But even beyond that, 
I think defense at shortstop matters quite a bit. I'm a big fan of defense, I think, more than the consensus, and he's very good at it at a premium position. That matters. Um, at the same time, this lineup is going to need offense. Um, we're we're going to get to some other guys who probably aren't going to be great hitters necessarily. Um, at the moment, there are exactly three hitters that I will tell you with certainty are better than average hitters. There are other guys on this team who certainly are capable of that, and somebody's going to be better than average, but there are there are exactly three hitters on this roster, and they are the big three with uh, Acuna, Donaldson, and, and, um, and Freeman, who I would flat out tell you are better than average hitters. Everybody else is capable of more, but in general projects somewhere around the average range. That, in a vacuum, is not a World Series-level offense. Um, so if you think Camargo, and obviously Camargo was much better at the plate last year than Dansby was, if you think that's real, if Camargo's hitting and Dansby's not, and it's June, as you point out, like maybe they have to start going to Camargo more. Even if it's just like maybe a platoon, if Dansby's uh, hitting better against one side, of, one side or the other. Regardless of that, they, I, I'm kind of with you that, that they can't afford a full season of a 75 WRC plus from Dansby Swanson. Last year it was 80. He was better in 2018 and 2017, but it wasn't good enough, uh, even with his defense, to just be overjoyed. Like He's still a playable player. He's still a starting caliber player with the defense, and that that's sort of portrayed in his wins above replacement. Um, but this team's going to need offense. That's kind of the moral story for me. I think I'm pretty low on the offense in general. Uh, Zach Dewar talked about that a little bit two weeks ago as well. But at the end of the day, the offense is kind of the sneaky, worrisome part of the team after you get past the top three. And even in the top three, Donaldson is not the lock that he uh, was two he's years cool. ago because of the injury. Yeah. If he's healthy, we know he's awesome. But he's not He's not necessarily been healthy for a while. So all that to say, we're going to go to the outfield in a second. I think Camargo has an opportunity to overtake Swanson in the middle of the year, more so than anywhere else. If there's a situation that's not an injury that Camargo takes over a starting job, it's almost certainly a shortstop, right? Yeah, I agree. And I, it's worth noting that Camargo is not a bad defensive player. You know what I mean? That's the well, not, thing. Not at all. He's, 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 he's a he's, very he's, good third baseman. He's excellent yeah, third base. He is not He is not as good as Dansby defensively at shortstop, but I would not consider him, I mean, especially with regular playing time there and getting used to that position, I think he could be a very good short. I think he could be a good shortstop. Very good. That 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 you have to kind of see before you actually kind of proclaim in his particular case. He has a really strong arm, which helps hide a lot of crimes in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, turning double plays and things like that, that's something you have to kind of get reps and all that other stuff. And we've seen Dansby also have a not a particularly great year at shortstop too. But if you have a guy who is significantly better offensively and maybe not a huge drop-off defensively at shortstop versus a guy who is struggling mightily. Let's say we're like in the middle of May, and Dansby's not hitting. At some point, you have to decide that you're going to try to field the best team out there rather than, you know, trying to let him play his way out of it because it's not as it's not just this year. You know what I mean? He's been he's been dinged up before and he's been healthy before, and for two years now he has not been a good hitter. He's just not. And you can only just let him work through that for so long until you have to kind of make a decision. I'm perfectly fine with them waiting for a little while because he did have wrist surgery. They, need to, just... they need to wait for a little while. It can't, it can't yeah. be Camargo out of the game. That, I disagree with people that say that. It's like, oh, just start Camargo. It's like, no. Part of the value with Camargo is that he can play everywhere, and you have yeah. to give Dansby one more chance. I think pulling him now would not be the right thing to do. And, and I, I, I'm actually perfectly okay with people thinking that Camargo would be better. That's a reasonable opinion to have. But I do think that Swanson needs to have one more legitimate everyday chance. 
if he doesn't hit again, you have to reevaluate. Maybe you maybe he's a change of scenery guy or something like that. You have to go to Camargo at full time shortstop. But I I would not really consider the Camargo full time shortstop thing out of camp, barring some weirdness with Dan's B's injury and not being able to being being ready to play. I should say. I agree wholeheartedly, and it's just a, with this central thought in my head. Dansby as like a 260 hitter with some pop and that level defense and Camargo being a super utility guy is the best way for this team to be a really good team. It, I mean, the, 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 the next step down, if that means that you need to have Camargo in the, in the starting lineup at shortstop, then so be it because Dansby didn't work out. But right now, what's your best shot at making a real run at this is if Dansby takes a step forward and you do not find that out if he's not in the lineup. Um, because, again, this could be a really good defensive team with also some actual real depth in the bench. And if you can take advantage of that, they should. I uh, totally agree. Okay. We are going to go very long on this podcast, so my apologies to everybody. Um, but we'll start moving <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit faster here. It's my fault. Uh, okay, Josh Donaldson is next. We talked about him a little bit a second ago. Um, just for some context here, before last year when he was banged up, he had five straight seasons with five um, wins above replacement or more. And a 130 WRC plus or more. In short, he was an MVP candidate for five straight years. Um, he was an awesome top, conservatively top 20 player in baseball for five straight years. Probably more than that. Um, and even then, he got banged up last year. He had sort of a rough season, but he, he showed some life down the stretch with the with the Indians once he got there. So my hypothesis, my thesis here is that Donaldson, if healthy, is still very, very good at baseball. The question is health, and we just we just will never know that. But I I do think that if you just pencil him in for, you know, most every day, um, I would give him, I'd be pretty uh pretty free in giving him days off, and especially when you have Camargo, that's a pretty good luxury to have. But I would be uh, comfortable in saying Donaldson is an awesome player when he's healthy. Yeah, I agree. It's it's all comes down to whether or not he's healthy. I, I he's not. He has shown enough, even when he's come back, that he is a guy that can be like a 125, 130 WRC plus guy with real, real power, potentially one of the better hitters in the National League, again, if he's healthy. And, and the Braves do have some luxuries here. It's not just Camargo. I mean, like Austin Riley is a guy who has taken a lot of steps forward at third base. And if you want to keep that depth, if it's a long term thing and like Donaldson like ends up getting hurt again or something like that, that's not what we want. Because again, this team is best constituted with a healthy Josh Donaldson doing Josh Donaldson things, right? But there is a way for them to still be a good team if you also maybe if you bring up Austin Riley, let's say he Donaldson gets hurt in June or something, you bring up Riley and you know he can be a guy that can give you some real power and you can keep Camargo in the role that he's had uh, and you can play matchups with him too, especially if Riley turns has some platoon split issues, things like that. So I mean, third base, it, Josh Donaldson, it's health or bust. Uh, if he's healthy, I think he's going to be very, very, very good, uh, potential MVP candidate. I I don't feel like that's a stretch. Um, but if he's not, and there's, you know, there's issues with his calf or he has something else come up, then the Braves have some real options with Camargo being for short term. I think that that would be what the, they would do. If it was long term. I think we might see Austin Riley this year. I agree. And I, I think, um, you know, Riley is going to be in Gwinnett to open the season. I think, am I crazy? Uh, I think that. uh I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I just want to say that out loud, just so people don't yell at us throughout talking about him more on this podcast, but he'll be up at some point. I'm not sure when that's going to be. Um, what do you make, as we transition to outfield, what do you make of Camargo not playing outfield in the spring? I know you mentioned that earlier on the podcast. I've been, it's been an eyebrow raiser for me that they have not tried him out there. It doesn't mean that he hasn't been working there behind the scenes that we just haven't seen, but him not playing a single inning of outfield in spring is something that I would not have endorsed as a plan. I'm not sure why he isn't doing that at some point. I think part of the problem is that they were giving 
they've given significant time to some lesser prospects, but also Christian Pache and Drew Waters, both who were really good in spring. <laughs> so yes. like, so, yeah, I mean, they were both really good. So I think it's just a, ma- I think it's just a matter of if they only want Camargo out there every once in a while in the outfield, it wasn't a high priority, especially early in the spring. If that makes any sense. Like, it's not something it that does. like, I, I didn't like draw too many conclusions. Cause I mean, like, I, I see no problem whatsoever in giving Christian Pache and Drew Waters a bunch of at bats, especially when like Pache is like clocking home runs back. Oh yeah, I mean that's stuff. that's totally fine. My only thing would be, does that tell you that they're not going to use him during the season in the outfield? I know, I mean, I, I never thought that he was going to be the fourth outfielder, but it was at least in my mind an option. And I think this could—I'm not saying that it does—but this could signal that they don't want to use him out there. And. You know, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe he didn't think he could play defense out there. He is kind of slow afoot, surprisingly, for someone who's as good a, a, a good a defender as he is and how, how young he is. He's pretty slow, which is, again, just kind of weird. But maybe maybe that maybe that won't play in the outfield. But he has a big arm. Like, you think it could work. But that's my only my only concern is maybe they just don't want to do it. And I, I don't know why that would be, but maybe there's a reason. I don't necessarily think that right now simply because I just think that there's still some time for – like if he plays like two or three games in the outfield, you know what I mean? Like that that changes everything. You know what sure. I mean? Because I don't think he's going to be the fourth – I never thought he was going to be the fourth outfielder. No, he's not. Like a, it's more like, a, more like a fifth outfield spot. And you don't need – if you're going to be doing that, you don't necessarily need a ton of time out there doing that. So a short version of it is I don't think – I'm not drawing any conclusion from that right now, especially when the roster being as it is right now. Now, if they like – once Pache and Waters are, you know – Firmly in minor league camp, and they're not getting regular, you know, regular at bats, and you know, a lot of these other guys are kind of shuffled off to wherever they're going to be, and we don't see any action in, from Camargo in the outfield. That might tell us more, but right now, I don't have that feeling. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably a good way to put it. Okay, let's go to the outfield real quickly. Uh, the first guy doesn't even need to be discussed all that much, other than uh, he's really good. Ronald Acuna killed the baseball on Tuesday, um, which was another yeah. indication that he's pretty good. At baseball, uh, just for reference here, the last 60 games of last season, his his uh, slash line was 325, 401, 628, with 17 home runs and 267 in play appearances. Um, that's MVP level. Uh, yep. I'm not going to pick him to win the MVP this year, but if he won it, I wouldn't be surprised. And that tells you everything that you need to know about that guy who is still this young and is this good. Yep, he's going to make the roster. Next. Yeah, let's move on from Ronnie. We'll spend time on him later because uh, he's awesome. Yeah, we'll, uh, he'll, he'll come up in a different podcast. I yes, uh, several, several times. Um, okay, let's talk about the other two guys. Um, Ender Enciarte, who was, you know, I think we at least discussed and it was out there that he could be available in trade. He's not. He's he's back uh, as the presumed everyday center fielder. And, um, you know, I, I uncovered some, some numbers that I actually tweeted out on Monday, I believe it was, about Ender at the plate because this podcast has long been – I think considered to be quote hating end quote on Ender Enciarte at the plate, which is of course overstated, but um, here are some numbers for Ender at the plate Um, in his career. This is going back to Arizona and Atlanta in his career before the all-star break. He has a 77 WRC plus that is bad Um, in 1500 ish plate appearances after the all-star break. It's 113, which is objectively good. (laughs) Like, we, no one would ever say anything about NCRT at the plate if he was that guy all the time. And that's about the same amount of plate appearances, about 1,500. Um, that's kind of crazy to have a guy be that hot and cold pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break, especially over a multi-year sample. It wasn't a one-year thing. Also, by month, here is WRC Plus by month. 80 in March and April combined, which is mostly April, obviously. Uh, 75 in May, 83 in June, 
85 in July. All of those are bad. At least semi-bad. 123 in August and 107 in September. So what happens to Enter Arte on July 31st? I don't, I don't really understand this. I mean, it's, it's more like a novelty thing, but it just kind of speaks to the fact that most of the time he isn't, he isn't a great hitter, and then suddenly he becomes one for two months. It's bizarre. I mean, I guess he's Mr. August. I don't know. Maybe he hits his quota of blocking Braves fans around that period of time. And then, like, you know, he like he, he, level, he levels up at that point. I, I mean, I, I don't that, – that is one area of split that – when the splits are like this. I understand splits being worse post-All-Star it's, break. It's not a small sample, man. This is a big sample now. Like, it's so, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, that is – I understand being tired after an All-Star, All-Star break. But when you get that much better post All Star break, it gets a little weird for me, and I don't really know what to make of it. Um, the the, the lefty righty splits I understand a little bit more, but again, he's just yeah, he's a really out there because in, in general he this isn't a huge surprise to anyone that's been paying attention to the Braves, but he's a pretty bad career hitter against left handed pitching, a seventy eight WRC plus. That's pretty bad, and he's at one hundred exactly against right handed pitching. So, you know that's not a surprise, and obviously he's going to face more righties and lefties, so it tends to be closer to 100 in the overall scheme. But, you know, we got a lot of people yelling at us for saying that he was a league average hitter or worse. Every single number short of batting average tells you that he's a league average hitter or worse. I'm sorry. That's just what he is. Um, Maybe, as we saw, I mean, it was kind of funny because he was so bad for four months last year. Then he came on and it was like, we told you. I'm like, no, this is just what he does every year. And the overall sample is fine. This is something that I've always said. I know you've said it too. All he needs to be is a league average hitter to be a very good baseball player. He's a three or three and a half win player as a league, as a league average hitter. That's a really good baseball player. Uh, so that's kind of just what he is. Like I, I, I'm almost out of things to say other than I wanted to point out the weirdness of the splits. But he's been the same guy he's been the entire time. Like He had the one hot year when he had 200 hits. But even then, that he was basically a league average hitter that year because he didn't have any power. So... I, I'm almost just out of things to say. It's just whether you agree with it with, with, with us or not, or the numbers or not. I know people just really want to value batting average and his speed. Okay. Okay. It's I'll, just what he is. He doesn't have speed. He has a I'm willingness with, to trust run. Trust me. That I'm is, with you. <laughs> <laughs> he is vroom, not vroom, vroom would be what I would say about that. It's, it's all about the fact that he's, uh, he's, he's a center fielder. And as you know, center fielders and second baseman have to, have to, have to hit at the top of the order. So. I guess that's yeah. Anyway, I I don't want to go too deep into Ender because again, there's nothing new here. This is stuff that we've said for a long, long time. It comes up more, and I actually feel bad for Ender because if he was just hitting seventh, no one would care. Right. Like if he was hitting seventh, and you're and you have a center fielder that plays every day and is a three-win player every year because he's a great defender, legitimately great defender, and he he brings value in other ways. If he hits seventh in the order, no one would care. And we'd probably be seen as being pretty high on him. But because he's been leading off, and because he's been leading off again in the spring, nothing official about this, but I think four or five times in a row now where the Braves have used their A lineup, it's been Ender hitting leadoff. And I just... I just can't. I can't. But uh, it's not his fault. I, I, it's important I, I, to know. It's not his well, fault. Well, he he wants to be there, and I respect that. He does. now. I, and at the same time, if he's... If he if these splits are just what he is, if you're if he's leading off in August and September, I don't particularly care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh sure, but, I mean, but but it's kind of uh, somebody, I think it was Joe Lucia, who's a friend of the program, tweeted out a sort of uh, the annual tradition now, where Ender's going to start in the leadoff spot. He's going to hit himself out of it. Um, he'll be hitting seventh or eighth by June, and then when he gets hot again, he'll go back to number one. 
Because uh, Brian that's, Snicker that's... just really wants him to hit a, like it's over and over again. They've moved him out of the lineup, uh, out of that spot, two or three times during his tenure. Um, and every time he heats back up, Snicker puts him back there because Snicker wants him there. And that's a philosophical thing. Um, we've talked about this till we're blue in the face about how it's just the wrong decision. I think willingly giving Ender Anciarte more plate appearances than Ronald Acuna is sheer lunacy. But that's what's going to happen if, if Acuna hits fourth. And again, this is the lineup. The core piece of the lineup, the last four or five spring training games, uh, and I, go, I know it's spring training, but when, when this is all we have to talk about it, and they're playing regular season lineups, we have to make some assumptions. It's been Ender at one, Donaldson at two, Freeman at three, Acuna at four, Marquecas at five, and then usually Albies at six. And I just cannot f- fathom a scenario where you're willingly in the first inning putting on the table a scenario where Acuna's not hitting. I, I, I am right there with you. And we've talked about my, you know, obviously my ideal lineups and things like that, you know, where Acuna is not bad at doing that. But Oh, we should do the caveat uh, because we, we, we might have new listeners. And by the way, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Uh, thank you for Hi. listening. Uh, it's, it's preseason. We should do the caveat here. I can't help it but talk about lineup construction because it's just so easy to fix. Um, but we, we'll say this now and I'll say this again and again. It doesn't matter as much as some people want to think it does. I will say that out right. loud. It matters. It absolutely matters. Like if for over a full season, doing the wrong thing can really matter. With that said, it's not winning or losing you games all that often. So it, I can see both sides. This is a, this is a Carlos Colazzoism where he he get, he'd actually get mad at me for saying that um, for talking about it because it's overblown. And I actually agree with it, it's overblown, but it could also be overblown and it can also be maddening. And it's both for the Braves the last I don't know forever. It is a marginal advantage that is easy to gain. There you go. That's that's that's, that's a perfect way to put it. And they are not doing it (laughs) (laughs) that 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 is the best way to put it i think it's just that it is a small advantage why wouldn't you take it if it was easy but apparently we're not so if that's the case then that's the way it is and i hope that ender somehow figures out a way to channel his august and september magic and actually you know play like a major league baseball player and at the plate anyway in april yeah i and that's the thing like we're not rooting for ender to be bad so that we're it'd be awesome if he was great right i mean me being right right is something that's kind of irrelevant to me like at the end of the day, I'm going to give my opinion, um, and it's going to be as unbiased as humanly possible. I also hope Ender does well because yeah. everyone likes Ender. I know the blocking thing is hilarious on Twitter, but in general, everybody likes oh, Ender. He's everybody. He, he goes out. Oh, he's got me a long, he, a long time ago. Uh, I haven't seen anything Ender tweeted in years. But uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just one of those things, man. Like I hope we're wrong about this, but he shouldn't be hitting leadoff, and we'll spend more time on that. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> at a later if, he's, if he's a good hitter, you will find few people who will like him more. A really good defensive player who is also like him. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, like like that contract. We loved it when it happened, but I would oh, just absolutely. Prefer- and by the way, he's earned every minute. Like yep. he's he's underpaid still. Uh, anyway, that's that's enough on that. Uh, last but not least, in terms of the starters, is uh, Nate Markakis, who is back. Uh, speaking of guys that we've litigated to the very end of the earth here, we talked about Markakis so so much that I don't want to do too much on it. But same old story. He was. Great for about six weeks last year, and then he was himself again. And himself is not a terrible player. It's a very solid player. Um, from May 6th to the end of last season, about 550 plate appearances, which is almost a full season, a slash line of 282, 346, 407, which is fine. It's not anything good or terrible. It's, it's fine. 
And that's very, very close to his four-year. This, this is his combined four-year numbers with the Braves. This is more than 2,400 plate appearances over four full seasons with the Braves. Marquecas' slash line is 284, 359, which is good, and 400 slugging. So, again, this is a perfectly fine baseball player. Uh, he's not the guy he was from April 1 to May 5th <laughs> last year. That carries numbers for the season, and, you know, shucks to him, it all counts. So he had the best year of his, of his Braves career by, by a wide margin last year. But if you sort of break it down a little bit, I think the expectation for him has to be what he did over four years, not what he did last year. Um, is he capable of more than that? Obviously, yes. We saw it last year. He outdid everything that we th- that we thought he was going to be able to do last year at his age. Um, the contract itself, in my opinion, is just fine. It's a bargain. He's worth more than he, worth more than than he was given on a pure dollars and cents level. The problem, the problem, and I don't want to really get it now, is the opportunity cost. But he's there now. He's going to be the everyday. Pl- he's going to be the everyday player right field, unless we unless we see something different from from Ryan Snicker, who loves him, and uh, the team loves him. Freddie loves him. Snicker loves him. Everybody loves him. So he's going to be, he's going to be out there. Um, do you have anything new to say about Marquecas? Because I've said a lot just now, but it's kind of the same thing that we've been saying forever: is that he's a perfectly fine hitter, and he's a Gold Glover. <laughs> I couldn't even get it out. I tried. Uh, he won the Gold Glove last year, which was. <laughs> A decision that someone made. Uh, Decisions were made. Uh, I don't have anything new, but I do have a question. Okay, I'm opposed to you. Here we go. Okay, let's assume a world in Double A. Okay, let's assume this is happening in Double A. Christian Pache is raking. Uh oh. Okay. Okay. What does Marquecas's line have to be for you to start getting mad that Christian Pache has not been called up? Ooh. Okay. Um, With all that's. First of all, first of all, I'm probably a little bit lower on Pache. Okay. For some context, I can respect um, it. I don't believe in the bat just yet. I believe in it more than I did a year ago, uh, but I have some questions about the bat still. Okay. Uh, with that said, uh, it, so it would take a, it would take me a little bit longer because he is very young. Is he still twenty? I think he's twenty. Yeah, he's he's uh, young. <laughs> he's very young, so I wouldn't worry as much about that because he is so young. Um, and because this team really needs offense. Like, if you factored in the glove, which is awesome, um, there's a scenario in which he might be better than Marquecas right now. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't project that. I would say Marquecas is much, much safer, obviously, in the majors. But if you were to throw in the glove... If Pache, if Pache is raking in double-A, what does Marquecas' line have to be for you to be actively well, mad? <laughs> here's my here's my thing. I was, was going to get to this, but I'll just get to it now. I would probably be... Marquegas being replaced by 20-year-old Christian Pache does not really appeal to me this okay. season. Only because they're trying to win now, uh, and maybe Pache is just awesome uh, right now at 20, but most 20-year-olds, a.k.a. not Ronald Acuna, but anybody else in the world, him and Mike Trout and maybe Chris Bryant or whatever, um, most guys at 20 are not going to help you win a World Series. Yeah, uh, So Marquegas... Is safe, uh, so I think you know Pache. If Pache was just killing it, I don't know. If, if Marquez is just bad, then I think they should probably have a pretty short leash on him. Like if he's been, if he's just the guy he's been for four years, he's gonna play a lot. Yeah, and he's the best option because they don't have anybody else. That's the roster construction issue, but you know they don't have anybody better than him. If he's just the guy he's been for the last four seasons, um, it's not sexy at all. And I, and I will certainly be probably advocating if he's this player for a trade. It to play over him, um, but 
in the organization, I don't see anyone that I would project to be better than him in 2019. I, I actually, I'm actually surprised that we completely agree on this. Is that yeah? I just, I mean, like, if I, I'll understand. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. The fans, the fans will get if Pache or Waters or whoever, if Austin Riley is suddenly playing. Is, can suddenly play in the outfield and is and is has an OPS of twelve hundred in AAA. You're gonna hear you're gonna hear that too. It's sort of the same thing. I am already getting questions as to why Pache is not breaking camp instead of Marquez. That's that's dumb. I mean, <laughs> that, that's that's the reason why I was asking the question. Is it's like it's already kind of starting. Like, I do understand. I do understand the appeal of Marquez not playing every day, and at his number that he's being paid, you know, in a vacuum. That's not a starting outfield number necessarily, but I'm pretty confident he was told he was going to be a starter when they were when they were giving him money and he took less money to come back. No one's ever said that, but you know why would he take less money to be a platoon guy or be a supporting piece? Um, is my question. But if he struggles for two months, I just wouldn't go to Pache. I mean, it wouldn't be a Pache. It's not. It's not a not a Pache thing either. It's just I wouldn't go to a prospect. I would be trying to find someone good in 2019. That's always been the problem with signing Marquecas for me. It wasn't value. It wasn't bringing him back in a vacuum. It's that I think he's I think he's going to play every day unless he just cannot play. Like he would have to be terrible, I think, for Snicker to not play him. Yeah, I, and that's I, a problem I, for me. Yeah, I mean he's just very meh. He's fine. And, I mean, it's, again, this yeah. is not a Marquecas. I think meh. people have turned this into like us not liking Nick Marquecas. That's not true. Everyone likes Nick Marquecas. Everyone. Everyone swears by the guy. Like, I have nothing personal against Nemarchakis at all. And again, he's a Major League Baseball player. He's fine. Like, he's totally fine. I just don't think that he should be above reproach. And that's kind of the way that he's often and, treated. And him treated as such, especially for a team that has playoff aspirations. World Series gets, aspirations. Yeah, yeah, it gets real dicey. Because yeah. while he's he is a Major League Baseball player, he's not a good one. And you need good baseball players to make playoff runs. I mean, he was, to be fair to Marquecas, again, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate. Last season, on the whole, if you include the run early, he was a good baseball player last year. He's about a two and a half win player. That's a good player. Now, he hadn't been that player in a long time. And you wonder who else? You wonder who else doesn't think that he is that level player? The Braves, because they made him take four million dollars this year, and they made him and they made him twist and wait. And yeah, I agree. I mean, at least the front office. I think if you talk to the manager or the players, that's something that Dave O'Brien has said, probably to the point of annoyance for the fan base. Um, every time someone criticizes Marquez, he comes back and says um, something like, "Well, the manager and the players disagree with you," and it's like, "Well." Okay, <laughs> uh, I have my own opinion, and they're, I don't really put much stock in that, but. With all that said, they do, they do value him more than the numbers say, and that you and I do. I can tell you that with a, for a fact. There is value. There is value in Nick Barkakis on this roster. I just think that the, you could also get greater value, maybe in different ways, by getting a by trading for another player. I agree, though, that bringing up a prospect probably isn't the way to go. Even and if, probably not. Even I mean, if it'd those be two things happen, it'd be different if Pache was twenty-two. And he already had a year in AAA when he was good. Like it's different if he, or if he was an Acuna level prospect. But the combination of him being twenty and never really hitting for a full season in the minors, and you know, not being that level prospect means that it's not really there. If he was again, if he was an Acuna guy, like just maybe not even Acuna, but if he was like an Ozzy Albies level prospect who was already like mastering AAA, that'd be a different conversation for me. 
because then it becomes very, very interesting. But if you're Christian Pache and you've never hit, I need, I need to see Christian Pache hit for a full season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's almost I, not, I mean, I guess there's probably something, something he can do, but he'd have to be ridiculous for three months for me to suddenly buy his bat, like enough to think, oh, play him every day in the majors. I agree. Yeah, and I also want to book the, bookmark this uh, for our listeners. If Drew Waters or Christian Pache goes nuts, let's make sure we're asking Brad as much as possible when they're going to replace Nick Markakis. <laughs> it won't uh, be. I'm telling you, it's not going to be. People will say that, and I totally will understand why. Yeah. But Markakis would just have to be so bad. You know what I mean? Like he'd have yeah, to be if, so if he, bad. If he's, if he's batting 270, and even if he's like slightly worse than he usually is. Like he's still going to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he again. I don't see a scenario where a prospect is playing over him unless he's terrible. Like maybe they go out and just maybe they realize not, that, they, that, I, that they need the upgrade. But go ahead. No, I was well, gonna say maybe they maybe they go out and realize that they, that they need the upgrade and make a trade. But I can't imagine they go to a prospect over Marquez. I'm happy exactly. to be wrong if they do it, but and if there's a reason for it, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and, and then there's like some real clubhouse concerns if you like trade. Yeah, for I mean, guys, you would... like to trade for a guy over Marquez at this point. I mean, if he if he just was allowed to walk and go somewhere else in free agency, that's one thing. But like, if like you bring him back and then you go and trade for a guy to replace him and like just straight upgrade over him, like he would have to be pretty bad. Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, this is part of the problem with signing him. Well, I don't want to go too deep into that whole thing again, but that was part of the problem. I do think here here's a sneaky scenario for you before we move on to the last guy, and it kind of bridges the gap here. Um, more likely for me uh, is maybe if he's struggling, they try to find a platoon partner for him. Because Marquez does have a history of being better against right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching, as most guys are. Um, it's not like he's not a he's not a supreme platoon split guy, but he has a pretty natural one. I mean, last year was 120 WRC plus with, from the uh, facing right-handers and about 100 or so against lefties. For his career, it's 116 and 95. So. You know, in theory, Adam Duvall would be that guy. So what well, in there with, with Adam Duvall? I'm saying it's not going to be Adam Duvall unless I, I I know we have the rep of being too high on Adam Duvall, and I understand that. I do think that he got sort of a bad rep last year, and I think the player that he was before that is much better than people want to realize that it was. Um, but I'm going to use that as, as a segue here just to say that is a more appetizing scenario for me is that you turn – Mark Hickus into a platoon guy and play against right-handed pitching and not against lefties. And maybe it's with Camargo. And maybe it's with, if you get into a, if it gets into August, maybe it's with Austin Riley. I mean, theoretically possible. It's, I'm not it's, saying it's likely or anything, but I mean, there, there are other possibilities out there than just more every day or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It can be when you're paying a guy $4 million, if he struggles, you have every license to go out and do some other things. And I doubt it's Adam Duvall. But maybe it's someone that they can get off the scrap heap. Maybe it's maybe it's this year's Adam Duvall that they trade for, or maybe it's Camargo is comfortable playing the outfield and you're playing those guys every day and sh- shuffling it up a little bit. And, Cam- and Marquez is more of a supporting piece. I mean, it's just it's on the table. I think my expectation is that Marquez starts 150 right field <laughs> because yeah. that's what happens with, with him yeah. and Snickers. unless he is hurt, unless or he is particularly bad, and it's just it's hard to imagine he would be that bad just because he's you know. He is as met as it gets, but like, there's no indication that he's just not going to hit at all. And that's pretty much what it would take. Well, right, and, th- and I, I totally agree. That's something that we should, I guess, wrap up with on Marquecas is just saying, I've, we've never seen him be bad. Like, bad. We've seen him struggle, 
at times last year. It was frustrating because he he turned into his old self, but his old self is not a disastrous option at the plate. In fact, it gets and, on and there are things bit. he is not good at. But yeah, <laughs> he has no power. I mean, the power is that that's he doesn't have power. He had power for five weeks last year. Uh, before that, for five seasons, he had a sub 400 slugging percentage. He does not have power. I'm sorry, he doesn't have power. But and by the way, uh, we'll, we'll just end here because. Uh, we talked about line construction, line construction a little bit. You know, it'd be better than uh, Ender at leadoff. Marquez cleanup or something. Uh, Marquez in leadoff would be better. I mean, that's not the that's not the great. I mean, he, he I, I wouldn't do that, and they won't do that either. But uh, Marquez hitting leadoff instead of Ender would be better. I wouldn't recommend that. But if you told me, if you gave me the option of a leadoff hitter every day, and my only two options are Inciarte or Marquez, I take a Marquez every single time. He gets like, he gets on base. He gets yeah. on base. That's 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 probably the best thing that he does still right now, is get on base. I mean, so, it's not an interesting notion. I just you know, there's several happen. other <laughs> options I would prefer, but you know, like at the same time, I. It, oh, I mean, it, I, I would be leading off. By the way, just just to put this out there very clearly, I would be starting games with Ronald Acuna one, Josh Donaldson two, Freddie Freeman three, every single night. Let me say that out so again I. plainly. Acuna, Donaldson, Freeman would be my top three. But if you didn't do that. I would prefer Marquez to to uh, Enciarte, which again they're never going to do. But I, I just think it's maximizing what he does well because again, if there's one thing that I trust Marquez to do on a baseball field, it's get on base. Yeah, so, I agree. There you go. Uh, okay, we should talk. We should talk about Duvall a second, for a second. Is he gonna, a is he going to make the team? And B, we know he's not as bad as he was last year, but is he someone that you're okay with as a fourth outfielder, or should they be trying to actively look for somebody else? Because they could still sign someone else that gets cut, or they can make a low-profile trade if they don't like Amduval as the fourth outfielder. I'm fine with them trying him out as a fourth outfielder. I just don't know who's going to be available in cuts, I guess is the best way I know how to answer that question. So, somebody before. will be available, we don't know who it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if it's like another Adam Duvall type, then why would you even, you know, you might as well at least give Duvall a shot. Um, there are things that, Duvall is interesting to me on a number of levels, but I am perfectly sympathetic to the idea that he was so incredibly bad when he, after the Braves traded for him that I can understand why people might want to have a short leash with him. But he's not going to cost. I mean, what, what what was his arbitration number? Was it like three? Something yeah, like it's that? like I don't have it in front of me, but it's like it's yeah, like three point four between, or something like that. Three and four million or something, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obviously not ideal, but you know, as a guy with that much power and like has a track record as a bench piece. That's not the end of the world at all, and you know he is real. He he he's a defensive replacement guy too because he's he is a good defensive player. So I I am fine with him breaking camp as the fourth outfielder, but I perfectly respect the opinion that if someone particularly interesting gets cut, uh, that would maybe sign for a low amount uh, as for a fourth outfielder type, uh, then I'm interested. But I just don't know who those names are going to be. I just don't know who's kind of on the table as a potential guy that they could they could pick up. So certainly we, we don't we don't know that. But the, he's the one guy we hadn't talked about. So I wanted to at least bring up Duvall. Again, I'm on record as saying I just can't imagine he's as bad as he was last year. Um, I, and I think Braves fans went a way too far in like burying the guy off of 57 plate appearances. And that's what it was. 57 plate appearances. That's all he was in Atlanta. He was dreadful. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, he was dreadful. real bad. But I always think choosing that sample over like a thousand plate appearances before that is insane. <laughs> and that's what happened. So, but at the same time, I think Zach Dillard said this too on our pod two weeks ago. The Braves don't seem thrilled with that option. Like, I think they kind of just offered him arbitration because they um, 
didn't have another great option. Like, it's like, maybe we'll keep you around, maybe we won't, but here's a non-guaranteed contract. We'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah, for now, we'll have you around. And it's like, see who shakes loose. And um, part of the problem is they don't have a guy in the upper minors that they are going to be willing to come up as a fourth outfielder because Pache and Waters need to be playing every day. So they don't have that other prospect that's like 23 that hasn't been a full-time major league. They, they don't have, have a Michael Reed type. They don't yeah, have they don't have Rio Ruiz or the equivalent of that. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of guy that could just be like, all right, here's your fourth outfielder spot. Because um, you're not, by the way, just let's just get ahead of this now. They are not going to have Pache be the fourth outfielder. No. I saw a lot of that on Twitter today or yesterday. That's not going to happen. <laughs> no, you, you, he needs he needs at-bats. Lots yes. of at-bats. Same with Waters. Those guys are not going to be – same Same with Riley. Any of those three upper-tier prospects, they're playing every day wherever they are. They're not getting called up to be a bench piece. It's just not going to happen. That's just, a, that's just a perpetual example that we'll always have to shoot down, but it's not, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's enough, I think, on everybody. We've gone way long on this, Eric, so my apologies once again. Um, no, it's all good, man. We'll talk more in the future, but anything we missed that you want to point out or any last takes that you have, we're going to have another opportunity for you and I to get our final predictions off um, before the season starts, so don't feel like you had to do that now. But anything um, on the position player side that we missed that you feel like we need to hit on? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything. It's just there's a lot of there's a lot of let's see how the two months first two months go. I think that after those first two months, we'll kind of have a better answer is kind of what the Braves need to be thinking about, whether that be moving guys around, calling guys up, and things like that. And I am I am okay with the idea of kind of revisiting this around around May when we kind of figure out exactly where all these guys are because there are some real question marks, but they're true question marks. They could go either way. It's not like you know, okay to bad, or, you know, like they could be great or they could regress a little bit. They could like, like Dansby could vary wide, widely uh, and guys like that. So once that all happens, we'll kind of have a better sense of kind of what we're dealing with. I, I agree. And I, I do think, you know, as I said this a little bit earlier, but they have three guys who I really, really trust with the bat. Um, it's their three star level players and there's real upside for a lot of the other guys, especially Albies. Um, yep. I would say there's a lot of upside there. I think Dansby still has a little bit of upside left in his bat. I think Enciarte and Marquecas are the guys you just kind of kind of know what they are. If I had to pick a pivot point on this on this roster, um, outside the top three guys, it's probably Albies, which is weird for me. But I think he's just the one guy you can look at and realistically expect a breakout, like a full fledged yeah. breakout. Yeah, like if he has a five war season, and they kind of need it. I mean, they kind of not not necessarily five wins, but they need they need another bat. They just do. Yeah. Like this offense is not. I mean, it, obviously, Donaldson really helps. So if all three of those guys are going at their maximum capacity or close to it, that covers a lot of sins elsewhere. Sure. If you have three of the top you know, 10 hitters in the National League on your roster, that'd be really helpful, and they're all capable of that. But um, if one of those guys isn't, isn't incredible by their standards or something like that, they could really use another guy who's like a legitimate fourth option, and the only guy on the roster right now that has that kind of makeup is Albies. So, yeah, at least in my opinion. I mean, maybe maybe if Camargo is just the same guy it was last year. And yeah, plays or, every day. or 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 Dansby goes wild or something. Which but, I still, I yeah. just can't. You know, as much as I still like Dansby, I can't see him suddenly being a one twenty WRC plus guy. You know what I mean? Huh. Like maybe he becomes league average, and that, that's an awesome player. Because if he's league average with the bat, he's like a three and a half one player. That's awesome. But in terms of just just, just offensively, I think Albies is the only guy that has that real like actual star upside, and they could kind of use that right now. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely see that, and that's kind of you know, it's gonna be interesting these first couple of months because the, the the schedule is a bit unkind, and you especially early yeah, gonna, on when you 
This is a good division, by the way, which is not helping. Oh anybody. yeah, yeah. A lot of these division games, you're gonna kind of we're gonna figure out pretty quickly what these guys are or not. We'll get our uh, we'll get our hot takes off on the division in a couple weeks before opening day, but uh, yeah, that's not gonna that won't be helpful for anybody. Is the division's gonna be good? So, uh, all right, Eric. Well, we've done an hour twenty two minutes and counting, so that's plenty, I would say. On the <laughs> podcast. Please plug yourself. Um, I'm hearing rumblings. You could be doing some more podcasting in the future, but I won't. I won't give. I won't give that away. Um, oh no, no, no. We we can we can give it away. Or you uh, can. We, we, Go ahead. We, yep, yep. The final final conversation did happen. Uh, the road to Atlanta is coming back. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, first on this feed. April, yep, it is going to be on this feed. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to that when it comes out. Uh, it's a it's a podcast where we're solo going to be talking about minor league prospects and the minor leagues for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Garav, Matt. Garrett, we're all going to be back. Uh, we're going to be rotating in some guests. I've already talked to some people. I'm supposed I'm need to be talking to some others. Uh, I have now have the technology uh, required to do that in a way that doesn't infuriate me. Um, uh, new laptop, and we're going to be getting set up with some other things as well. And so that's going to be coming back first week of April, where that's going to be a kind of a minor league season preview, kind of us coming back. I fully admit that that's probably going to go longer than this podcast has gone. Uh, beyond that, we're kind of, uh, beyond that we're already doing a bunch of work behind the scenes and starting to come up on the site on previewing the draft. Uh, minor league recaps are going to be starting up relatively soon, not long after the regular season for the major league starts up. Uh, we're going to be doing some preseason minor league stuff. We got a lot of stuff going on at Talking Chop uh, as well as on the podcast side. So I am anticipating being very busy uh, in the next couple months, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and again, this is going to be on the same feed. So please subscribe to this feed. Um, it's going to be there. So. For the first time, if, as long as you're subscribed to the Talking Chop podcast feed, that's going to include this show and Road to Atlanta. So it's, you'll get it all, and you'll have to download it, but it will still be there for your listening pleasure. So that's a two for one, it's a two for one deal. It's on a your two for one combination free deal. So yep. all this content's free. All you have to do is listen to it. So click the download button and tell your friends and subscribe. And one more time, again, tell your friends, spread <laughs> the word. Um, I know there are other there are other podcasts out there, and uh, it, trust me, I listen to other Braves podcasts. It's not just this one, but I, I like to think this is a pretty decent show. And if you don't like me, um, listen for Eric or listen for Scott. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have fun. Uh, thank you, bud. I, I appreciate it. Please follow Eric on the old Twitter machine. Follow me if you want basketball takes most of the time, but baseball's coming. And uh, follow the site at Talking Chop. Check us out every single day. The best content anywhere on the Atlanta Braves. If I do say so myself. And uh, we'll see you all next week. 